Hey friends, welcome to PVN Church Podcast. We're glad that you're listening with us. On this episode, Ryan and I tackled some questions that were sent in by our audience. Hope that you enjoy, and if you still have some questions after listening to this podcast, feel free to drop us a line at bob at pleasantvalleynorth.com. Enjoy. All right. Guys, grab a seat. We're going to get Ryan mic'd up. Maybe. How are you guys? Check, check. Awesome. I heard you. I need to do my scales to get warmed up first. Ready to go for it. I'll, I'll lead you off. Jay-Z rides the Escalade for days and days. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Okay, Let's ready. do it. That's ready to go, too. I apologize for if you're joining us by podcast. Uh, <laughs> we have not been drinking, uh, so, and please don't call the church. Um, I would hate for you to call First United Methodist of Timbuktu. Ba-dum-tsh. That's where we are. All right. So tonight, you guys have had the opportunity to shoot us some questions. Uh, so Ryan has answered all of these. I'm just no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> it's not too far from true. No, but um, so anyway, so we're going to go through these. Um, I don't think my notes are the same. My little handout that you gave me, right? He treats me like a superstar. I get like handouts to me and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is a long row right here. Yeah, and you guys are like, what are you guys doing? Y'all don't want to sit next to the Dallas's or in front of Luke? I mean, what's going the on Deli. here? Yeah, there we go. All right. So um, there's some pretty good questions in here. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of good questions. Um, what's the first one? Oh, that is the first one. Um, right. Let's start off with the first one because it's the one that I get asked all the time. Mm-hmm. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise. Um, here's your question. It says, what's the deal with tattoos? Because in Leviticus 19.28, it says, do not cut your bodies for the dead. Or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Am I reading the right one? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Oh, you're there. Just want to make sure that this was talking to that. But in Revelation 19, 16, it says, on his robe and on his thigh, that's, this is the thigh right here. You didn't know where a flagpole was. I just wanted to make sure you knew that. Okay. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, is that a tattoo or not? Is it okay to have them? How many of you guys have ever wrestled with this question? Is it okay to have tattoos or not? Okay, thank you. One person is being honest. Two, three, nine. See, it's, Brody, thank you for being a leader in sixth grade because it took you to raise your hand and all of my older teenagers were finally like, somebody else raised their hand. Good on, I've been the first one. Come on, jump out there. It's okay. Um, yes, uh, this, is, this is, I will say this before we get into answering this. This is a very cultural thing for where we are in our country. Uh, We're in the Bible Belt, the Southeast. So we have a different lens that we look at Scripture through because of the way we've been brought up. Uh, But we do want to answer this question uh, a little bit for you. Um, Let me tell you what the Old Testament says, then Ryan is going to talk to you about the more modern stuff. Uh, I am the old guy, he's the newer guy. So we're going to do that. Um, This passage of Scripture is talking about laceration, or to be more grammatically correct, instead of tattoos, markings. Uh, on your body. Uh, yes, we do have translated that into tattoos, but what these people did, it was, it was uh, cultural of the time. The pagans would actually cut themselves or put marks on their body in mourning for the dead. Uh, it, it was something to where it was, it was their, their way of celebrating or trying to identify with the dead. Now, later on in history, it was picked up by, by the, the followers of Baal. It was a Baalistic worship to where they would, it was a way that they worshipped the god of fertility. Baal was the god of fertility. Uh, so it's, it's, 
to, to answer the question what the Old Testament tells us, it's not that you have a tattoo on your body. It's the fact that these people were cutting themselves and marking their bodies up in honor and worship of the dead, which means that they're worshiping something besides God. And Ryan, go for it, my man. What's the New Testament say? Yeah, so the one thing that I put for this is, is one thing to think about any time a tattoo w- would be able to cross your mind. I would say 1 Corinthians 10.31. And again, this will be on the podcast. And if you want to jot down notes, that's fine. Or flip along, that's fine too. But 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so when it comes to something like tattoos or body piercings, this is Paul's way of saying, you need to check your motive. Um, yeah. what is, where is Christ in this? As a Christian, your first question before you do anything needs to be, where is Christ in this? Will he be pleased with this? Will he get glory from this? Or will this turn people's attention away from him onto something that's on my body? So it really is kind of an inward thing. Tattoos really are kind of an inward thing before they even become an outward thing. And so for me, I would say the first thing you need to do is check your motive. And I think the Bible says that as well. Yeah, we talked about this as well, too. First, I will say this. Most of you guys know that I have two tattoos. You don't want a tattoo. Trust me when I say this. My dad, who has tattoos, told me, you don't want tattoos. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, whatever. He don't know what he's talking about. Uh, you don't want them. I, I 100%. I can say this, but you know, like we talked about as well, it's, it's what, what, what message are you sending to people? Um, you know, are, are you, are you, do you have death put on your body? Do you have something else put on your body? You know, the t-shirts that you wear, it's the same way. You know, what does your t-shirt say? What's the message your t-shirt is giving off to people as well too? The way that you dress guys, I, I'm, I'm sorry. There's not really many college guys in here. There's really no reason, and I'm going to say this on the podcast. My email address is ryan at outlook.com. That's not your email. That's not it? Okay. Um, there is no reason for any dude to be in chubbies. Sorry. <laughs> we don't want to see that much of your thigh. Uh, it is gross. Uh, you know, they need to be down to your knees for a reason. We, nobody wants to see this part of your leg, but they made a Friends episode about that, too. Just suspect... Anyway, anyway well... Well, sixth graders in the room. We'll keep going. Um, but so my point is this, is that, you know, what, what, what is the clothing that you wear? What does it say? Now, I wanted to start off with guys, because girls, let's be honest, most of the time you get the heat on this. You know, is your top too low? You know, is your midriff showing? You know, things of that sort. It's the same thing. The whole thing is the same message. What are you telling people about yourself? The way that you dress, the things you put on your body, uh, and, and things as well, too. So, I'll leave that up to you guys uh, where you want to go with that. But that's, biblically speaking, that's, that's what Scripture says about it. Now, we've kind of ad-libbed and thrown in some of our, some of our, uh, our personal opinions, which you know what sure. you can do with those and throw them away. But rest on Scripture. Anything else that we needed to add about that? We good? No, ready for think, the next question? Do you guys ready. have any rebuttal questions about that? Anything that we've said? Okay, good. You know, All this right. can be a two-way conversation. You guys can, can talk back with us as well, too. Okay. Um, second question, and this is one that, that a lot of people ask and that we get a lot. Um, yeah, this is the same one. What happens to babies if they die stillborn? Um, are they saved? Where do they go? And so, again, we want to look to Scripture for the answer. You, you can't just start and say, well, God would never do that because I believe this. Is, well, 
Anybody can use that for anything. Does that make sense? You need to stick to what Scripture says. And based on what we found, and what we're going to do with this one is I'll use the Old Testament, and then Bob will use the New Testament. But God sees infants, God sees babies as innocent. And this is how I know this. So three verses, and then we'll move to the New Testament. Deuteronomy one thirty nine, And this is Jesus telling the Israelites that they are not allowed to go into the promised land because of their sin. Okay, They have to wander the desert for 40 years because of their sin. So this is what God says. Uh, He's telling them they're not allowed to enter into the land. And he says, and the little ones, so babies, and the little ones that you said would be captive, your children who do not yet know good from evil, they will enter the land. So God is associating children with not understanding the difference between good and evil. So they're not held accountable yet. Does that make sense? That's Deuteronomy 139. Next one. Jeremiah 19.4. Listen to this. This is God speaking to the Israelites. For you have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. You have burned incense in it to gods that neither they nor their ancestors nor their kings of Judah ever knew. And here it is. And you have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. Now, who are the innocent? This is a time where the Israelites were worshiping the god Molech. And this god required infant sacrifices okay and so that's what they were doing but you got to catch it all that's gross and awful i know but you got to catch what we're talking about god says he he doesn't say filled it with the blood of infants he said filled it with the blood of the what what do he say innocent so god associates infant and innocent together and then the last one you guys know this david and bathsheba right david has an affair with bathsheba he kills her husband bathsheba becomes pregnant god punishes david by taking his baby away okay and so the baby dies and this is what david says so the baby is dead and david says this second samuel 12:23 But now my son is dead. Why should I go on fasting and weeping? Can I bring him back again? No. Here it is. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David's the one who wrote, you know, Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, Psalm 23. David knows where he's going, and David says, I will go to him, but he won't go to me. So David's got it in his mind that his son is in heaven, and this is in the Bible as well. So according to the Old Testament, God sees infants as innocent, and so it would be this almost instant heaven that they would achieve. So, Yeah, let, let, me, let me kind of be devil's advocate a little bit. What's, what's the way to salvation? Go for it. Through Jesus, right, absolutely. So what does Scripture say about every single person? Are we good or bad? Are, are we born that way? Okay, so now we have an issue because if, if Scripture tells me that I'm bad, I'm born that way, and that only faith in Jesus Christ is what gets me to heaven, then this is where a lot of people are like, well, hold up, man. I don't really know what happens to babies, which is probably why you guys ask us this question. Um, now, if you look through the, through, through the Bible, through the Testaments, the Old New Testament, mainly the New Testament on this, you, you do see that it, it appears that God, for some reason, chooses people in the womb and saves them. Uh, a couple of those people are, if I can find them really fast, um, David was one of these. He, in Psalm, he wrote this, uh, you are he, talking about God, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. All right? Um, also, some other ones that we see um, that, that are this way as well, too. Uh, you've got Jeremiah. You know, bef- bef- you know, 
Before you were born, when you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I formed you. So there seems to be, for some people in the, in the Old Testament, New Testament, there's some people that had special privilege of God would save them in the womb. Now, does that mean that God would only choose a few and all of these other kids would die? Well, that's the question that we, that we looked at. And John Piper did a funeral uh, and just a couple of things that he said in this funeral, we both were like, <laughs> I mean, listen to this passage of scripture. Uh, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 9, verse 41. Um, blah, 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 blah. To those who were um, offended at his teaching, um, this, is, this is what he says. Did I see this? Oh, here it is. He says, if you were blind, you would not have had sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Let me read that one more time. If you were blind, you would not have had sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. And this is what, this is what he says. I'm just going to read right off of this paper that, uh, that somebody from from his ministry wrote. In other words, if a person lacks the natural capacity to see the revelation of God's will or God's glory, then that person's sin would not remain. God would not bring that person into final judgment for not believing what he had no natural capacity to see. A child has no natural capacity whatsoever to understand that they're a sinner. So according to what Jesus has told us in that, this is where we get the age of accountability. Maybe that's a church term you've heard people say before. This is where that thought process came from. Well, that person was, uh, wasn't of the age of accountability. I have no idea what that age is. We're simply just talking about babies uh, and what Scripture says. Uh, so you see from the Old Testament and the New Testament why we have come to the conclusion to answer your question as, what do babies go to heaven? Yes. Because they have no way of knowing. They don't see, as the scripture says, they don't know that what they've done is bad. Uh, they have no way of being able to understand. So they don't see, to, to use the words of Jesus. Now, open it up again. Any, any follow-up questions to that as we, as we move on? Yes, ma'am. Does that apply to mental disabilities? Yes. I, I, was, I figured that was going to come up. Yes. Because there again, we, we've got, now, I'm not God. So, but I will say from what I see in scripture, I would, I would surmise that's, that's a yes. Uh, and the reason is, is because um, they don't see. They're, they're what's considered blind. They don't have the capacity to be able to see and understand. So, good question though. Anybody else? Farron, thank you for opening that box because other people will now start answering questions as well too. Oh, here we go, Judas. Mm. Basically, what you're asking here is, did Judas go to heaven? Um, you know, is he in heaven or is he in hell? Uh, and that's, that's, that's the question that we're going to l- wrestle with tonight. I know that you have asked, did Judas go to heaven after he committed suicide? Is that right? Mm-hmm. After betraying Jesus. I didn't want to say it because you're the one that put the questions in. So if it was wrong, I apologize for following your lead. Mm-mm. You okay. are, you are, you are good, money. Good, good. Money. Johnny Manziel used to do that too. And you know what he is now? Broke. Um, No money. Anyway, sorry, that's all over the internet. Uh, Did Judas go to heaven after he committed suicide, after betraying Jesus? Now, what you're looking at is you're looking at two different sins. So your question is, did either one of these sins keep Jesus out of heaven? Well, here's what we don't see in Scripture. We don't see that Judas ever repented. Um, Yes, he was with Jesus 
Uh, and Ryan's got some scripture. He's going to talk about that in just a moment. He was with Jesus, but you know what? There were a lot of people that were in the crowd. We've talked about that before. Uh, I think it's Mark that talks about the crowd a lot. Uh, there was a lot of people that were in the crowd, but when Jesus asked them to commit to something, most of the crowd would leave. Well, Judas spent time with Jesus, yes, in the 12, but he never, he was always just kind of part of the crowd for, 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 the, for the sense of this argument. He never really, Scripture doesn't show how he ever surrendered his life how he ever repented uh, of, of anything that he did. It always shows that he was constantly just, you know, doing stuff uh, like this. You've got some scripture passages, though, that's going to dive us into this. Right. So, so did Judas go to heaven after he committed suicide? After Jesus? No, he did not. Um, but not because he committed suicide and not because he betrayed Jesus, which is what all of the disciples did mm-hmm. at the Garden of Gethsemane. When they come to arrest him, all the disciples, they just bail. They all run away. So they're betraying Jesus as well. They're not taking his side. And Christ said, if you're not for me, you're against me. Okay? So all the disciples, including Peter. Remember, Peter denies Christ how many times? Right? So Peter denies Christ. He's betraying him. But Peter repents. Judas does not go to heaven because there is no record of Judas repenting. Acts chapter 1, verse 18, Peter says, Judas bought a field with the money that was given to him for his wickedness. So for his wickedness. And then in the same chapter, verse 24 and 25, they're trying, so Judas is obviously gone, so they're trying to find the next disciple to kind of fill Judas's spot, if that makes sense. And they say, and they're praying, and they say, Lord, who should we choose to occupy this ministry that Judas abandoned to go where he belongs? Okay? One more time. Who should we choose to occupy this ministry that Judas abandoned to go where he belongs? So Judas is not associated with repentance, okay? Judas is long gone. Peter knows that, and Peter in nowhere. He, he has the chance here to say that Judas has gone to heaven, that Judas repented, but there's no record of that. So Judas is only associated with the wickedness of what he did and no repentance for that. Thereby, we can assume, based on what we're given in Scripture, that Judas went to hell, so that's what we have assumed and decided based on what we found in Scripture. Yeah, and I'm glad he said that because here's ultimately the thing. Only God knows. Right. Uh, you know, only God knows where my destiny is going to end up. Uh, not destiny, but you know what I mean. Where, where my eternity is going to reside. Only God knows where his is. Now, we'll talk about, you know, some, some things about how you know if you're saved a little bit later. Right. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that God's the only one that really knows. These, these are just the things that we have picked out of Scripture that we've went through and we've studied. Uh, we really have no idea. Uh, but from what Scripture has shown us, like Ryan said, it, it does appear that, you know, according to all of Scripture, taking that into account, that unfortunately that's, that's where he, he, he is and he chose to be. Uh, so, uh, all right, ready for the next one? Ready. Here it comes. We're bringing this thing in with a bang. Um, <laughs> I see what you, you like did. That. You see what I did? You speaking up what I'm throwing down? Um, all right, so here we go. Did God create the big bang? You want to start off with this or you want me to? Sure. I've got just a brief little thing and then Are you Bob's going to... You look like you're kind of flush and sweating a little bit. I'm just, I'm just really excited. <laughs> all right. Super excited. He's, um, he's sitting next to his man. I don't know what that is. Uh, okay. So did God create the Big Bang? All, all I've got here is this. God does bring something from nothing. Okay? Does that make sense? In Genesis, God brings something out of nothing. And so a lot of times people will say that, well, God did do the Big Bang depending on what you say the Big Bang is. Does that make sense? 
But most people, from my experience, most people use the term Big Bang to describe an event that they believe God was not involved in. Like, if I say, I believe in the Big Bang, your first thought is not going to be, oh, well, he must be a Christian. Does that make sense? Like, you don't normally associate that with Christianity. Um, God is involved in and is the author of creation, and we know that because of the Bible. Now, again, with the Big Bang and not the Big Bang, if that's what you want to call it, that's where I think Bob's going to kind of take more of a role in that. Yeah, uh, let's, let's do an experiment, because he talked about God created something out of nothing. All right, let's do an experiment. I want you to close your eyes. If I see your eyes, they're not closed. That means you're looking at me, and I won't call you out, Ben. Um, oh, wait, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I was just thinking. All right, so you got your eyes closed. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to think of nothing. Go. Quit shaking your head. Think of nothing. Go. You can't do it, can you? Open your eyes. Why can you not think of nothing? Somebody tell me. Why? It's too hard. What? You're already thinking. But, but if you think of the word nothing, you're thinking of something. You've never experienced nothing. So here's the reality. Just, there, there's no way that you can think of nothing because it's impossible for us to do. By the, by the sheer fact that I, I had you close your eyes and I told you to think of nothing, you were thinking of a way to think of nothing. So you were, in, in fact, thinking of something. Now, I say all that to say this. We don't comprehend nothingness. Why? Because in my whole life, there has always been something. Something has always existed. Now, yes, the longer that we're in this whole thing called life of humanity, and we discover more things, and we continue looking back on the, on, on the things that mankind has learned so far, and we continue piling on top of those things, there's this crazy thing that's happening that we're starting to realize that science is starting to prove creation. And that's all that science is. Think of any science. Science is just a discovery of what God has created. Astronomy. What is astronomy? Stars. Who created the stars? So you're studying what God has created. Anatomy. Physiology. You're, 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 you're studying the body and the processes of the body. Physiologically, what takes place at the cellular level. So what are you doing? You're studying the thing that God has created. So like Ryan said, when Big Bang, that whole theory first started off, it was, it was that it was not God directed. It just, all of a sudden, poof, something happened. Uh, you know, we think that it was like some primordial, like, pool of something, lightning struck it, and then all of a sudden, out of that, like, life began. Don't, that, it's, it's real. That's what we, we've thought at one point, and some people still do. But the reality of it is, is that what's the most basic thing in science that they teach you? Life comes from what? Life comes from life. Yes. Life can only come from life. So, we know that the life had to originate somewhere. That's where creation takes us. Now, what does this have to do with the Big Bang? God spoke it into being, right? So, one day, there was absolutely nothing. No time, no light, nothing. No people, nothing. We can't comprehend that. And out of that nothingness, God created. Was it a big bang? I have no idea. Could it have been? Yes. Because when you have nothing and all of a sudden something is on the scene, and as we talked about last week, how that something is continuing to expand, 
Over time and over time and over time, we know that if we turn the hands of the clock backwards and we, 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 we it's hard to say, we rewind. That was difficult, man. I, I need a, let me take a breath. When we turn back the hands of time and we go backwards, what was expanding is now shrinking to what? A beginning point. So we know that there was a beginning point and that's where we say that that was the Big Bang. So depending on the way you look at it, are you asking, did God create the Big Bang? Yes. Did the Big Bang happen and God didn't have anything to do with it? No, not at all. Um, so any, more, any, any questions on that? Follow-up questions? Any thoughts that come up? Yes, sir. Right. Word. <laughs> that means good. That means good. Money. Money. That's it, money. We're back to this again. Yes, sir? How do you explain the time scale? So, like, 4.8 billion years is science's first right. window when Earth was mm-hmm. created. How do you explain the time scale of 4.8 billion years to what biblically the Earth Okay, word. Here's where, here's where this works. When you picture, here you go. If you picture, just picture Adam and Eve in your head, Okay. Picture Adam and Eve in your head. Are Adam and Eve like two or three years old? No. How old are Adam and Eve? Give me like a rough ballpark kind of thing. Late 20s, mid 30s, right? Okay. And we, be- and, and we believe that that's exactly ish how old they were when they were created. If God can make people out of nothing in the middle of their life, what's to stop him from creating the earth in the middle of its life? Does that make sense? That's kind of one of the things that we use. God creates Adam and Eve kind of midlife. And you look at, and you like, if, you were, if Adam were to die and you were to do an autopsy on Adam, you would see like, this is a male, he's 35 years old. Well, how did he get to be 35 years old if he was just created? It's kind of the same thing with the earth. Does that make sense? God made the earth the same way he made Adam and Eve, kind of middle of their age. That's kind of how we can put that together. So just let that sink in for a minute. But, but to further answer your question, we will have Professor Agin up here next week because she is a lot more in-depth in science. Uh, you know, nothing is saying that it's, it's a constant thing that we have now. Now, for, for, for a long time it has. And I will really start talking over my head really quickly, uh, but I can't remember the name of the theory to where um, it has to do with lights and waves and the length. And so we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, and so if you're listening on mm-hmm. a podcast, I will claim illiteracy on this because my wife and I have talked to this, talked about this before. And when, she, when we talk about it, we explain it, we've read about it. It's like, it, it, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. So we, we will have that question answered for you. All right, here we go. If you, this is your question coming to you right here. You ready? All right. Boom. Now, what happened to the dinosaurs? What so, happened to the dinosaurs? Let me hear from you guys. What do you guys think? Yes. Okay, destroyed in the flood. All right, somebody else. Yes. Huh? They what? A meteor. I thought you said they were peed on. I'm like, what a, what a horrible way Must to go. Must have been some radioactive urine. Uh, all right. <laughs> no. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Somebody else. Yes. Patmos? 
Or Pompeii? Okay. All right. Here's, here's what we know. This is what we know. We know that before creation, there was what? Nothing. Nothing. So before what we read in Scripture that in the beginning, God created, um, God created. Now, we've used Answers in Genesis, Institute of Creation Research, or some of these websites we've looked at. We've even like, wow, we use the Bible? Isn't that crazy? Who knew? It's crazy. It's phenomenal. Um, so we use the Bible and different things like this. This is, this is the theory that, that I'll say I have came up with, and we'll let Ryan talk with himself. I'm with my man Brewer back here. It's the one that makes the most sense. Now, if you know anything about, uh, you know, about the, the layers of the earth, you know, over thousands of periods, you've got this layer, and then thousands of periods later, you've got this layer, and then you've got another. You, you guys tracking with me? You've, you've been taught this in school. Okay, and usually we'll have the fossils that are in like a specific layer. So this is the time period that they lived in and all this stuff. But there's one problem with this theory is that when, it, when it's flat like this and you've got all the bones and stuff, but there's one problem when you've got a T-Rex has been fossilized like that. And now all the layers are like this. It just totally disproves their theory. Why? Because the only thing that's logical is that those that did not go on the ark were killed in the flood. Yes, Right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there on this. Now, do I believe that man and dinosaurs cohabitated? Yes, because of Job. Job talks about you know, uh, the Leviathan. Job talks about the, uh, the behemoth. The behemoth. Uh, the behemoth had a tail like a cedar. Uh, and, you know, so it's large animals that they're talking about of this time. We have no idea, uh, but that's just from what we see from Scripture we do. Is this the one we're talking about, like cooking out and stuff like that? Yes. As well too? Yeah. Okay. I think you should share that. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think we should too. That's, we're going to cook out at Ryan's morning. house next Saturday if you want to go. Sort of. Is that, is well, that it's Celia's house? But yes, hers for now. Really. You kick her out. It's still part of the. Uh, wait, the did she listen to this? I doubt it. Oh, good. Okay, good. No. Here's here's what here's what we, Ryan and I were talking about. This is a question that's asked all the time. Now, Scripture is invaluable for a lot of information, but the main point of Scripture is what. God's redemption of humanity. That's the main point of Scripture, is that God created a people, and then we send God's, God's attempts, finally, to be made complete through Jesus to redeem humanity. That's the whole purpose of Scripture. These are the things that, you know, Scripture obviously doesn't give us 100% clarity on these answers is because that's kind of not the point of Scripture. So we were talking about, I told Ryan, I said, dude, it's about like if I, if I invited you over to a cookout. Uh, and I was, I was telling people that I was barbecuing. And I just happened to mention that, you know, uh, we're going to be smoking the, uh, uh, the brisket, uh, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, someone gets stuck on this tangent of like, wait, so he's using wood? He's not using charcoal? Oh, he, so he's not using gas? You know, that's not the point. The point is that we're going to feast. We're going to have brisket. Yes, I'm going to cook it, but that, that's, a, that, that's a side thing. The way that we get it done is, is not the main important point. Now, there are lots of, of land animals and creatures and stuff out there, uh, but, you know, so does that kind of, you guys kind of feel what, what, we're, what we're saying there? I mean, we, we can look at some things, but the reality of it is we can't definitively say one way or another because Scripture doesn't give us a, a direction on those things or not. 
No, exactly. I think you covered it. I think oh, that makes awesome, sense. Man. Yeah, I'll, you're going to raise. You're going to raise. Oh, All right, finally. Here we okay, go. Here we go. Now we're getting into good well, stuff. Go ahead and ask. Yes. Him. Okay. Here we go. Um, next question is this, and this is, has to do with kind of time management. How do you put God first when you spend more time in school and on devices? I can't read the Bible for nine hours to beat out school. Okay. Here's. Let me read the question one more time so you can get it in your head and, and listen. How do you put God first when you spend more time in school and on devices? I can't read the Bible for nine hours to beat out school. Okay, this is what you need to be careful of. Be sure you're not associating worship with time, okay? As in the more time you spend doing something, the more you worship it. Be sure you're not associating with that. Because the person in this question is, is, is weighing the Bible and devices and schoolwork, okay? I spend this amount of time on this, this amount of time on this, this amount of time on this. Which one do I worship more? I have to do this more to worship it more. You sleep more than mathematically, and if you put in the weekends, you sleep more than you do all of those things, okay? Does that make sense? But do you worship sleep? No, you don't worship sleep. Here's the example, okay? Um, And just try to push through it with me. My heart belongs to Kristen, okay? My heart belongs to... Just come on, let's go. We'll find out. My heart belongs... Because she's right here. She's not. My heart belongs to Kristen, my girlfriend. But I spend way more time sleeping mathematically than I do being with her, Okay? Now, the time that I'm with Kristen, I enjoy and want that way more than I want time sleeping, but I still sleep more. I just do. It's part, I'll, I'll always sleep more. That's how I'm wired. So don't get, don't get in too big of a knot because you spend more time doing the, these things than you do specifically reading your Bible or praying. Ask yourself what's going on in your heart during this time. Does that make sense? I'm with Kristen way less than I sleep. But when I'm with Kristen, my heart is much more alive and much more excited than when I'm sleeping. But I sleep more. But I'm not asking like, oh, I spend more time sleeping than with Kristen. Like, who do, I, who do I care about more? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, be sure you're not associating worship with time. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, if you're, if you're trying to pray at night and you're like, man, I cannot wait to get done praying so that I can go to sleep. If that happens to you one night, well, that's one night. That happens to me on certain nights. But if it happens to you every single night, repeatedly, or if you can't wait to get out of church repeatedly so that you can go do other things, that is a pattern that shows that your heart is in a place that it shouldn't be. Does that make sense? Don't just judge it on one time. But if repeatedly you find yourself choosing things over and over and over, and, and when you are praying, your heart wants to be somewhere else, that shows me that you do need to stop and examine your heart and come talk to us. Does that make sense? Just real quickly, I'll, I'll say on this because we're mm-hmm. going to start picking it up real yeah. fast. Um, school is one of those things non-negotiable. You, you, you got to go to school. Right. And it's, it's very invaluable. You're going to get knowledge. Now, God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to give you wisdom uh, of how to use that knowledge. Um, yes, ma'am, were you going to? Well, you don't have to, but then you don't get a paycheck. And then you don't get married. And then, wait, and then I'll go to, then I'll actually go to Israel. So No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but so you, you, school's a non-negotiable thing. You, you got to go to school. You, you got to sleep. But here's the thing that's negotiable in this whole question. How do I put God first when you spend more time in school and on devices? That is 100% of choice. If you spend more time on a device because you know that it is impeding your time with God. I'm just going to reiterate what Ryan says. You have a heart issue. 
You need to reprioritize things in your life. All right. Uh, I want to save this number slide number seven for last. So I'm going to throw your, your notes, notes off because we're going to get through these other ones really quick and we'll spend a minute on that. All right, we're going to jump. We're going to come back. You guys all know this. All right, here we go. These next two, we're, it's going to be really quick. Well, actually, the next three. Um, how do we know our religion is true? In other words, if we were to die right now, how do we know that we wouldn't meet Buddha in the afterlife or reincarnate or something? Okay, let, let's, this is real quick. Remember when we first started the FAQs of Christianity? What, what is it that we started with? We spent two weeks on it. What was it? Reliability of the Bible. Remember, I, I said then, we're going to spend two weeks on this because I need for you to understand and see that the Scripture, you know, the, the canonized Word that we have, God's Word, the 66 books, are that is the most written about, most studied, most debated but it has the most validity of any book in the history of all of creation. Homer's Iliad is the second thing that even comes close, and it is thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts way behind what the proof of what's in this Bible is true, and it's, it's written by these authors. And, I, and then I said, okay, we spent two weeks. Why? Because we're going to stack a lot of important things on top of this. Remember that? This is your base. That's why I know that I know that we're not going to see Buddha. Why? Because my Bible, the one that has been proved over time and time and time and time again by scholars much smarter than me, says what? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. That it's, it's, it's been true. It's, it's been proved. So I don't have a blind faith. I have a very calculated faith in what the Scriptures say. And that, that goes along with this next one is how did... We, how did the books that are in the Bible get there? That's right. Oh, I forgot my book. Dadgummit. Oh, well. Um, get there, but how did the books that, that are there now get chosen in the Bible? And how do we know that the Bible, that, I'm sorry, that the people, this is a very small font, the people who chose them chose the right ones and that God wanted? And could there be a book entered into the Bible now if God wanted one to be written? Really good question. Um, and Ryan will talk briefly about this as well, too, because we're going to s- slide through here. Um, it, it basically is this. Uh, we didn't choose what books went into the Bible. Man did not. God did. We discovered the books that he wants to go into the Bible. Um, there, there, there were five basic things that, that prove that, that a book is written by God. Basically, uh, the, the book says, claims to be written by God. Uh, the writer uh, is, uh, is, is a prophet of God. Uh, and a prophet of God always says, hey, you know what? I'm a prophet of God. Uh, but all, not only that, I mean, because you have lunatics that do that as well too. I'm a prophet of God, <laughs> you know, uh, type stuff. But the, the proof is in the pudding because they say they're a prophet of God, but there's always miracles and healings and things that go along with them. What? God has his proof on them. Um, the, 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 it never contradicts anything else that Scripture says. Because, um, you know, God can't contradict himself and a few things. So those are some of the requirements that basically were out there uh, about that. you have some things to add to that? Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is, is just kind of reaffirm what Bob said. The, the quote oh, yeah. that I like a lot says, the church didn't make the New Testament. The two grew up together, okay? And what that means is that there's not these magical people that declare this book is Scripture. You're going to look at a book that's not in Scripture versus a book that is in Scripture, and you compare the two. 
This one that you know that, that, that ends up not being in Scripture, it's got things in it that aren't true. When you try to act out the, the teachings of it, your life gets worse instead of better. Then you have this other book, and, then, and you look at it and you say, well, I know that all this is true. He's writing about what he's seen and what I've seen, so this is historically accurate. And when I act out the teachings of this book, my life gets better and I go closer to God. Okay, well, it's obvious that this book is the one that belongs in the Bible. You see, there's no, like, magic thing. I didn't do anything magical. The book has proven itself. Mm -hmm. And this is what the books of the Bible did. There weren't magic people declaring it. These books proved themselves over time. All right, I'm going to go through these next two real fast. That way we can get to the last one. All right. What the Bible says about interracial marriage. Mm -hmm. Again, this is very much of a of a territorial thing, a culture thing here in the South. Uh, people outside of the Bible Belt, they don't question this. Uh, but here, there's been a, a very different view of life than there is in other places in, in, in our country. Let me just say this, and, and, and you know, I'll answer for both of us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on for this, unless you have something desperate to, to add to it. Interracial marriage, you, a lot of times people will, will take the Bible and twist it around and say, oh, oh. You know, blacks and whites can't marry, or Hispanics and whites can't marry, because in the Bible, it, you know, talks about that, you know, God's people should not intermarry to others. Well, okay, here's the thing. It never has to do with the color of their skin, ever. The reason that God said that is, is because the other people worshiped another God. So, what does that mean today? God doesn't want you to marry a Muslim. God doesn't want you to marry a Buddhist. God doesn't want you to marry a whatever, fill in the blank. And if you're listening on podcasts and you disagree, I am very happy for you to come and sit down in my office and be angry and tell me this, but I promise I have scripture to back this up. God doesn't care if you're, care if you're white and if you marry black. God doesn't care if you're black and if you marry white, as long as you worship the same God. That's everything that has always meant. We, we've, we've got this whole thing with that, what someone looks like on the outside totally messed up. It's about what's on the inside. And that was the whole thing. It never had to do with the outside of that person. 100% of the time, it had everything to do with what's on the inside. I got a little bit more heated about that than I thought it was. I'm telling you. I hate racism. It's the stupidest thing in the world. All right. So anyway, let's go on to the next one. <laughs> this is easy. I like this question. What does some, how, when does someone cross the line? If you ask that question, I will go ahead and say this. You already have. I'm just being, being flat out honest with you. You have. Because 99.9% of the time, if somebody asks me that question, my answer is always, you already have, but let's talk about why. Because that's usually someone sitting in front of me face to face. And they say, well, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done this. Have I crossed the line? Yep, probably about 15 actions ago. See, we as a culture, we want to see how close to the line we can get. We want to toe the edge of the cliff. And you know what? You're right. You can get right up to the edge, and you may not ever fall off. But if you're right at the edge of the cliff, you know what can happen? Somebody can very easily accidentally bump you, and you're falling off. The, the rock that's underneath your feet can slip because it's a cliff, and they slip, and when they do, you're over the edge. A big gust of wind can come up and blow you over the edge as well, too. No, it's, it's not about how close can I get. It's about how far away can I stay. What does a life of purity look like? Again, what am I telling people about myself? When they see me and my girlfriend or me and my boyfriend out in public, am I portraying a godly image or am I portraying an image to where people are like, well, that's stupid. You catch my drift? Why do we want to get as close to the edge as we can? 
What does that look like in our life? You notice that none of you, if you're a girl, have ever ridden in a car with me by myself. Nothing wrong with that. I'm old enough to be your dad for most of you guys. And if you think I'm good looking and you have a crush on me, we're going to talk and get you some help because I'm way too old for that. And I'm way past that age. And Ryan, he's a good looking stud. You know, that's an issue for him with you guys, right? You know, right? You're, you're red again. You're sweating. I'm, oh, my gosh. <laughs> right, so my, anyway, my, so there's a couple more questions. My, my point is really this. Quickly, really quickly. Hold on. Is that don't get so close to the edge. We have boundaries in our life. Put boundaries up in your life, too. We don't want to ever slide off because if you have a morality slip in our job, if you go too far where you are, it takes a long time. It's a hard road. But here's the reality. The rest of that question is this. What do we do once we have? Because I think, really, whoever asked this question, that's the real question we need to talk through is this. God's mercy and God's grace is new every day. You can start over today, right now. I don't care whether you sexually have given yourself to someone farther than you want to, whether you've, you've ventured off in alcohol or drugs farther than you want to, whether, you've, whether you've, your mind has been warped from purity from things you look at, God's mercy and God's grace is new today, tonight. You can, you can have a clean slate right now for that. And that leads us into our last question, which is probably the most important. How do I know if I'm saved? Go for it. All right. So here's, here's the thing with this one. How do I know that I'm saved? And then we'll be finished. Nobody ever asks that question if they've just spent the whole day doing something good, okay? Like you don't volunteer at the nursing home and then come home and do yard work and then donate to your favorite charity and sit there and be like, man, I wonder if I'm a Christian. You don't do that. Nobody does that. You only ask that question after you've done something really bad or if you've just had a day where nothing has happened. Like you get up, go to work, go to school, come home to homework, go to bed, and you're like, nothing's happening. Am I, am I really a Christian? That shows me. Do you see what's in common with all of those scenarios is you and your action. What that shows me is that your heart still says that salvation is based on what you do and not on what Christ has done. You think you're not saved because of what you've done. You feel good about your salvation because of what you've done good today. You're basing your salvation on your own life and not on Christ's life. Um, Stop looking at how well you've done or how poorly you failed and look to the perfect and completed work of Christ instead. Your confidence shouldn't come from your good days and your sadness shouldn't come from your bad days or your normal days. Christ is your confidence. Christ is your constant. His work saves you in all of those days. So that, that's what I would say on that one. Yeah, and you know, I love to point people to Galatians 5.22. Uh, they've got the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. I tell people this all the time. Which one looks more like your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, yada, yada, all this stuff. Or is it anger, fits of rage, sexual immorality, uh, and other things that you can read in Scripture? Which one looks more like your life? Because, see, these, these things, the fruit of the Spirit, man, those aren't things that, I, I tell you about, you can fabricate those things. But the one thing that you cannot fabricate is that fruit will produce more fruit. 